0: Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark.
1: John and Emra out on a date. So does everybody know the bad IDs? Get happy or else. Commandy ish We're off to the Parazone. Our favorite deer slash human hybrid returns. Young Justice takes his final bow. And everything matters, but nothing counts. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, November 8th, 2020. I'm Mark.
2: And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review.
1: You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737, that's 614 321 9 SFP. (laughs) Legion of Superheroes number 10 by Benda Sook von Grabajer and Belair. With the trial of the LSH concluded, we can move on with the overall plot of the series. Multiple storylines are kicked off with teams going to different planets. Gold Lantern and others travel to Oa to hand off General Na to the Guardians of the Multiverse. After a final scuffle, he's taken away. They all have a chat about the Great Darkness and discuss why the Guardians didn't see it coming. Turns out they did, but they aren't sure whether the LSH is the cause of it. A second team goes to New Krypton, hoping to find Mon-El, who's run away. They meet various progeny of the House of El, including Zod, Mon-El's great-granddad. There's also two dark-skinned women, one carrying a hammer, what looks like a doomsday Superman hybrid, some sort of omac like being and a swarthy bearded man all wearing the s crest they find monell tending to his three kids lares connor and lane it sounds like some time has gone by for him since he suddenly has a beard he flies off when he hears that the trial was resolved and that john is still in the legion a third team including ultra boy goes to rimbor hoping to get that planet on the right track but after a fight Jonah is now the new leader. When he says he can't be leader and on the LSH, Lightning Lad says, why not?
2: Meanwhile, John Kent and Saturn Girl go on a date at the Planet Gotham version of Planet Krypton. Try the onion rings. Only to run into a UP commissioner, then investigate what happened to Mordrew. Saturn Girl calls in Dr. Fate, who says they have to go to Xanthu. Back on Earth, Brainiac 5 and Lightlass have a chat. She's about to quit, but he says that her combination of diplomacy and passion is exactly what they need. On Xanthu, Mordrew runs into Rogolzar. I was really hoping we were done with him. There's a lot of new storylines to kick off at once. Bendis is great at starting things, but not so much resolving them. Considering that this appears to be Bendis's only remaining DC title, we'll cover that in a minute, That's a bad sign.
1: Batman, Three Jokers, number three of three, from DC Black Label. We learn a lot in this final issue. The question is whether it matters or not. Black Label is supposed to be for alternate continuities, but considering that the concept of Three Jokers was created in the main Bat books and rumors that all continuities will count going forward at DC, Mm. anyway... Bruce and Jason continue to fight. Jason should be turned into the police after killing the clown Joker, but doing so would jeopardize both Bruce and Barbara's IDs. Jason calls him on this and says he plans to take out the other two Jokers, since you're too weak to do it. Barbara wants to know who the real Joker is, and it's clear that Bruce is holding back on this. Meanwhile, Joe Chill, the killer of Bruce's parents, is taken out of his prison hospital room. He's got late stage cancer. Bruce learns that Chill has been writing letters to him for years, but he never sent them. Barbara and Jason have a chat. He's willing to go straight for her. Is this the first time we've seen a possible relationship between them? Because it's normally Dick and Barbara. The Bat family get a tip that Joker is at the old Monarch Theater next to Crime Alley. Of course, it's a trap. Joker is planning to give Chill a dip in the chemicals to make him the Joker that matters. Jason is shot. Barbara punches out a Joker, while the other Joker sets off the chemicals and starts a fire. Bruce saves Chill, who tells him he knows about the secret identity and that he's sorry for what he did. One Joker takes out another, who is then taken off by Gordon, who we learn knows about Barbara. In the prison van with Bruce, Joker tells him he knows all about their identities, but won't tell anyone because you might stop doing this if I do. Chill dies in his bed, and Jason goes off to find himself in Alaska, but not before leaving a note declaring his feelings for Barbara, which is conveniently lost before she sees it. In the end, Bruce admits to Alfred that he's always known who the Joker is, but won't say to protect his ex-wife and child living a normal life elsewhere. That's a lot to unpack, but again, does it count or not? More about that in a moment. Next, we have two number one issues. (laughs) Happy
2: Hour Number One from Ahoy Comics by Milligan, Montanet, and Sobrero. We're at Stanford, watching a group of students and their professor discussing classical cynicism. When troops come in to shut it down, the newly elected government has declared unhappiness illegal. Cut to ten years later, with a family discussing terrible things in a car, a grandmother with terminal cancer, and laughing the whole time. There's an accident and the driver wakes up in a hospital with a head injury, only to learn that his sister is dead and his mother is grinning about it. Turns out the government gave everyone brain surgery to eliminate the parts that make you sad. It's justified by saying that America was at war with itself, falling apart bit by bit, and this was the only way to save it. Unfortunately, the surgery can only work once, so people like him are sent off for readjustment. He meets a woman who was an Olympic wrestler who got a head injury in a match and wasn't happy about getting bronze. The old professor is now a freedom fighter until he was captured. He's planning to escape back to Mexico before they send him to aversion therapy involving video of cute puppies and Bing Crosby singing White Christmas. He comes back to them grinning and happy. The other two make plans to escape.
1: Origins, number one of six from Boom Studios by Chapman, Rebelka, and Delpeche. In a commandy pastiche, a young boy learns about himself via story-slash-exposition. We see New York City overgrown with plants. He's told he was found by the storyteller, then hidden at the Museum of History. Somehow he doesn't remember any of this. Cut to a type of 3D printer that prints out a baby. The storyteller is a woman, his protector. At a later date, they search for food, finding strawberries that turn out to be filled with worms. A bird attacks and she kills it. But now the network knows where they are. They return to the museum and make plans for the Upload, some type of experiment now necessary since the bad guys are homing in on them. Cut back to the 3D-printed baby, which must be protected at all costs from the world that would rip him to shreds. An intriguing concept. I'm glad it's a miniseries, so there's presumably a scripted conclusion already. Next are two returning stories, one a spinoff and the other a sequel.
2: Colonel Weird, Cosmogog Number 1 from Dark Horse by Lemire and Crook. A return to the Black Hammer universe with our favorite spaceman, multiversal traveler. Of course, it's very trippy. We begin apparently just after the colonel transported the team from the farm in the main storyline, but only he arrives on a deserted road. He sees an abandoned gas station and enters, realizing that he's been there before and is thirsty. As he enters, he becomes himself as a child, and the proprietor offers him a soda. He opens the fridge and is pulled back to the battle with the anti-god. Suddenly, he's back at the abandoned gas station, only to find his old spaceship, so he fills up its tank. Cut to the colonel's initial ride into space in his entry into the perizon, and then back to the gas station, now with a group of kids telling him to, Show us the pattern! We cut again to Weird as a hippie with a group of followers and then back to the gas station, now just a chunk of Earth in the Parazone. The other versions of himself, the boy, the spaceman, and the hippie, all tell him that he must find something or they will all lose themselves. He takes the boy's hand and are in a field outside his boyhood home. Now here's the second part of the Lemire doubleheader.
1: Sweet Tooth, the return number one of six from DC Black Label by Lemire and Villarubia. Apart from a short story and a Vertigo anthology, it's been seven years since we've seen these characters. There's been talk of a TV series on and off since then, with Netflix announcing a first season order for eight episodes. It's been even longer for Gus, the human-deer hybrid, 300 years to be exact. He's living in a mostly deserted forest, which we learn is actually an enormous underground room with overhead lights. As seen at the end of the original series, the hybrids took over, but that did not last, and he's apparently the only one left. Gus has dreams about the big man, but his father tells him to pray them away. Any attempts to go past a perimeter are stopped by armed drones there for his protection. It's just him, father, a being with all white skin and red eyes, and two women called Nanny 1 and Nanny 2. They all tell him that when he's ready, he will ascend into heaven. But he's becoming a man now and knows something is wrong. There's something more out there than death. One day, he asks for materials to make a fort, but he uses it to make a battering ram slash raft, bashing the drones and making it into the water. He reaches the outer shore and finds an underground village with many people plus more drones which attack him. He runs away, only to crash into Jeopard, his old guardian. So is Jeopard immortal, or is it not really 300 years later? The artwork from the original series creator is evocative, as always, and the dialogue is haunting. Finally, we have a conclusion not just to a title, but apparently... To a DC imprint.
2: Young Justice, number 20, from Wonder Comics by Bendis, Walker, Godlewski, and El We've known for a while that this was coming, but it doesn't make it any less sad. Wonder Comics brought us the fascinating original character, Naomi, which DC then whiffed, and new retellings of the Wonder Twins, style H for Hero, and Young Justice. It's clear that Bendis had major plans for Young Justice, but was forced, or he just decided... To close it out, we begin with Teen Lantern fighting something with the rest of the team left unconscious. We go back 33 minutes, and the team is exploring the original Mountain HQ of the JLA, which they've decided can be theirs now. Cassandra gives them a boring tour, while Bart tells them to get to the good stuff. They find Red Tornado, referred to multiple times as Red Tomato, a Golden Age reference to the original Ma Hunko character, deactivated in a display. After they debate about switching him on, Tornado attacks. He was there as a sentry, and they are unauthorized. The OG members assumes this is just a training exercise, but he's serious and manages to stop them all, except Teen Lantern. She blasts him and rips him to parts, only to be stopped by GL John Stewart. The two of them met in the Battle of Metropolis, somehow only three days ago, but he never got a chance to do what he intended, take her hacked harness from her. He calls her a child and that she has no idea what kind of power is involved. But Teen Lantern thinks she's earned it. She goes to her backstory and how she was frozen her entire life with no way to get out, but now she has a purpose. The rest of young Justice, now awake, back her up. John tells her at least she needs training. I accept. I didn't say for me. Just before he's called away on business. And fix Red Tornado. There's a manual on the desk in the kitchen. We end up with a two-page spread of Young Justice in a secret team meeting, a.k.a. a beach party. Never the end. I really hope someone takes up the story where Bendis moves on.
1: A quick bit of industry rumor before we go. We're now hearing that... Future State, the two-month event coming up in January that will take concepts from DiDio's Generations and Generation Shattered, the other event also based on Generations content and served up in Detective 1027, will not be tied to each other. Huh? When DiDio was pitching Generations initially, the idea was that all DC Comics would be in a single history. Everything happened. Everything matters. But now DiDio is gone. The rumor mill, a.k.a. Bleeding Cool, says that yet another event in March will introduce the Omniverse, which will spin out DC titles into a looser continuity.
2: The result may be the end of a shared continuity between DC titles. This is something we've discussed in the past. DC wants it both ways. A tight continuity to make crossovers easier and every book is basically on their own. If they have, in fact, decided to go the latter route, great. This would allow more interesting storytelling, especially larger arcs that otherwise end up being derailed as the latest crisis barrels through a particular title. It would also allow titles to move between creatives as they wish to the point that titles become more like anthologies with more one-and-done stories. Finally, it might actually break the endless cycle of events. Of course, I'm sure DC will pull back at the last minute and muddle the whole thing.
0: Call us at 614 That's 614-3219-SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening everybody.
2: Bye.
1: Bye-bye.